This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. If you've ever wondered what it means to think like a breadwinner, you are going to love this episode with Jennifer Barrett. Jennifer is the chief education officer at Acorns, which is a financial wellness app that has more than eight and a half million users. It's crazy. And she's also the founding editor of its popular money site, Grow. She previously held many management roles, including general manager at Hearst Digital over Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, Redbook, and 17 Digital Brands. She was a personal finance editor at CNBC Digital, the SVP and editor-in-chief of Daily Worth, a female-focused financial media company. She's had a ton of different roles within the journalism field, and I think it's really interesting because she's brought all of these together and has always had a passionate around helping women with money, specifically breadwinning women. So one of the cool things about her is she's also a contributor for Forbes. She has written for tons of different money publications, and she recently launched a book called Think Like a Breadwinner. Such a good book, you guys. You have to get your hands on it. I have been loving it so much. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground. We specifically talk about how sometimes the messages are different for boys and girls when they're growing up, specifically pertaining to money. The messages are so different, and I think it's really important if you have kids or you're around kids or intend on ever having kids or not. I mean, it's just an important message to understand of how we talk to boys and girls is very different traditionally. We talk a little bit about how some of the impact of systemic beliefs are for herself and what she faced, ways to approach talking with your kids about money, her view on what actually causes the gender wealth gap. I thought this was a really fun conversation. How to start making conscious and practical decisions about your desires desired financial future, how to structure saving for your goals, the differences between housing markets in different parts of the country and how that can impact us as individuals, the importance of a growth mindset, common issues women face when taking breadwinning roles, societal pressure related to motherhood. I hear there is a ton of that and I do feel for a lot of moms. I think it's a really, really tough tough thing to go through. And then we wrap up this conversation with setting boundaries in order to help you create more of a work home balance. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's definitely one that was different than some of the typical conversations, but I think you guys will appreciate it. And I hope you do. If you do, do me the biggest favor and tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. Let me know that you're listening in so I can see who's listening, connect with you, say hi, all that fun stuff. 
Now let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Jennifer Barrett. But before we do a quick word from today's sponsor. The other day I was driving and I was looking around and saw so many now hiring signs literally everywhere. Like every single building had a now hiring sign. And it immediately made me think how difficult it might be as a company trying to find the right person to come work for your company when literally everybody's hiring. So how do you stand out and how do you find the right candidates? And that's why I'm so excited to partner with Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You can get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster You only pay for candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews all from your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed Skills Tests. These tools on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests and then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash money nerds. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash money nerds. Indeed.com slash money nerds offer is valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions do apply. Best of luck with your candidate search. Now let's get back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode today. I am joined by one of my new friends, Jen Barrett from acorns and new author of think like a breadwinner jen thank you so much for hanging out thanks for having me i'm excited to be here i'm stoked that you're here too (laughs) you have a lot of really interesting careers in the financial world so i think this is going to be a really fun conversation but i'm curious for you let's just dive in how was money talked about when you were a kid Mm. I think like most women my age, and and I'm finding younger than me as well, um, my parents talked about money in the abstract, (laughs) but we didn't ever really sit down and talk about, this is what we're paying for our mortgage. You know, this is how much we make, and this is how we're budgeting that money. Um, I had kind of a vague idea of what things cost, um, but it, it wasn't that realistic, to be honest, because as soon as I graduated from college, um, I was kind of stunned by the cost of living. And I, having grown up in a middle-class suburban household, sort of expected that I would continue to have that lifestyle when I was out on my own. But we never really had that conversation. So I was always really passionate about journalism and my parents were um, fantastic, you know, at saying you can be anything you want. You can be like the next Christine Amanpour or you know yep. <laughs> Savannah Guthrie, whatever you want to do. Um, but we never talked about what journalism pays and what that impact of um, that salary would be on my lifestyle and what I could afford. And so I was actually surprised when I got my first journalism job and qualified for food stamps. <laughs> it yep. paid so little and it just didn't align with the the lifestyle that I had envisioned for myself in my 20s, which was largely based on like sex in the city and friends and um, this <laughs> kind of aspirational image I had of, of what it would look like um, and not really grounded in reality. And as I 
started doing research for the book, you know, I found that this was a case for a lot of people where a lot of women, I should say, where we were encouraged to pursue our passion. And we got, you know, a lot of our parents um, were, were very encouraging in terms of our professional opportunities and really encouraging us um, to, to have any career we want and telling us sort of the sky's the limit um, with our careers, but not having that conversation around this is what the career path you are interested in pays. And here's what that will mean for your lifestyle. You will not be able to afford X, Y, Z. And if you want to, you'll have to get another job. <laughs> you know, yep. Those sort of really um, practical conversations. And in fact, the research shows that um, parents are more likely to talk to their sons about um, what a career will pay than to their daughters. So there's a lot of really interesting, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting research around this. And I don't think it's intentional. I just think that um, even today, even though, you know, more than in more than 40% of households with kids under 18, moms are the sole or primary breadwinners, I think our culture just hasn't evolved um, to that reality yet. And so parents are still sort of talking to their kids as if their daughters will grow up to marry breadwinners, right? And they'll be the budgeters, they'll be in charge of the household, and the, their sons will grow up to be breadwinners. And so we know parents talk more to their girls about how to budget and spend smartly and more to their boys about building credit and investing to build wealth. And again, I don't think that's intentional. I think it's just that they are providing that advice based on this kind of outdated assumption that their sons will be breadwinners and their daughters, you know, will provide the secondary income. And, and so the, the messaging that we get growing up is still very different as women than as men when it comes to money and breadwinning. I think it's, it's interesting too. And you, you're a parent yourself. So how are you approaching this conversation with your kids? Um, I'm very open about <laughs> money, <laughs> totally. um, <laughs> not surprisingly, but we already, you know, one of the most important lessons that I want to teach them is to save and invest early and often. And from the very first check that they get, um, make that a habit. And so we've already had pretty, um, I would say pretty deep conversations about how the stock market works and the advantages of, of investing in stocks and in a wide array of stocks. So I, I try to use examples from what's out there, um, you know, what people are talking about. So for example, my kids are 10 and 14 and my son, my older son saw, you know, it was all over TikTok when GameStop, that GameStop phenomenon. And so he came to me and asked, what was this about? And I thought, okay, this is a good opportunity to talk about why you need to be really careful about putting a lot of money into one stock yeah, no <laughs> and, and also doing your research, like not just jumping on the, you know, the bandwagon because you see it's going up and people are talking about it and you've got FOMO. Um, so we, we tracked the stock and obviously it went sky high and then it plummeted. And so what I said to him was like, look, people went in and bought that stock at $300 at 350, even at $400. And now, you know, at, at the time we, we had spoken, it was in the hundred, like a hundred and something. And I said, imagine if you had put all this money into that and now you, you've just lost more than 50% of it in one day, you know, just think about how that would feel. And, you know, that's not the way to invest, you know, because we can't time the market. And so anyway, I use those things that happen in real life and that people are talking about. We use that as an opportunity, um, to, to provide some real life lessons. And like my 10 year old loves Roblox. I bought 
this morning. <laughs> I told him I'm waiting till it get, got down to 65 a share or so, 65, 66. So he's been tracking it for a week. And he said, it's at 66, mom, this morning. So, I, so, awesome. I, bought, <laughs> so I bought 30 shares of it. I showed him how I bought it. And now we're going to watch you know, and see how it does. Um, but oh, even with that, cool. I said, this is only one little portion of my portfolio. So, you know, usually I, I'm a lot like you. I love index funds and that's mm-hmm. most of my portfolio, but I do reserve some of my portfolio to pick different stocks. It's just not where I'm putting most of my money. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think that's a great way to go. And I love that you're using these teachable moments. As a parent, you probably are like, yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have to say it warms my heart when my my teenager said, Mom, you know a lot about stocks, right? Can you explain this? Uh, what's happening with GameStop? That's yes, so great. I made yes. it. <laughs> that is so cute. How old are your kids now? They're they're 10 and 14. Oh yeah, great yeah. ages for, yeah. for learning this stuff. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Very fun. So I'm curious for you too. Do you, when you were doing research for this book and you were trying to figure out where, where do the issues lie? Like, where is this root cause of all of this stuff? Mm-hmm. Do you view this? Is there systemic issues that we're not talking mm-hmm. about that you think are really uh, worth mentioning? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I think, well, you know, this started because I had my own wake up call. And um, in the book, I talk about this is when Zach, our oldest, was about 18 months and we were living in a small one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, which is not unusual. (laughs) It's the cost of living here is quite high. But we were living in this little one bedroom. And one night I was up putting him, trying to get him back to sleep. And I looked around and I realized um, we are we were in an unsustainable situation. And I thought I had been doing everything right. I had a small 401k. I was paying half the rent and half the bills. I had a little bit in savings. I was close to paying off my credit card debt. And I realized I wasn't in any position to get us out of this situation. I hadn't been saving or investing with the idea of, you know, how am I going to be able to afford the things that are really important to me in the midterm? And so I looked at, you know, I, I kind of looked around and I thought, how did I get to this point where these things that are most important to me, having a second child, being able to stay in the city we love, being able to buy a place um, where those are at stake now, how did I let that happen? And so I, I really had to think about what were these beliefs that were driving the choices I had made with my money. And I realized that deep down on a very subconscious level, I had expected my husband to really take the lead on all of this. I had been putting it on him without even realizing it consciously because my own dad had been the sole breadwinner, had taken care of a lot of this stuff. And so I asked myself if I had been raised to think like a breadwinner instead, how would that change the choices I made with my money? Um, and the answer was it, it would have changed them quite a bit. When I thought about if I truly believed that I was fully financially responsible for myself, for life, mm-hmm. and maybe for others too, that would have dramatically changed the way I looked at money. And so that changed the whole trajectory of my life, of my relationship with money in a really positive way. But it started there. And I initially thought, maybe I'm an anomaly, <laughs> you know, I mean, I thought yeah. we've, we've evolved so much, um, you know, as a society and women are moving into the the breadwinning role and, you know, women are making such strides professionally. This has probably changed certainly for, um, younger women coming up. But then I started doing the research and talking to, I, I interviewed over a hundred women and I realized, oh, actually, no, 
because the messaging hasn't changed. So many women are still being brought up not to think of themselves as breadwinners, not to understand the importance of investing, being told that they're in, you know, being told not overtly, but the messaging we get is still like your income is secondary. Um, you know, and you don't need to, you know, you just need to have enough money for a rainy day. You just need to have enough for retirement. Um, it's really this very different message that men get from, from the message that women get. So men are really being taught to build wealth from the get-go, right. To make sure they can provide for themselves and a family. And women are not getting that same message still, at least most of them. There are definitely exceptions, but if you look at the research out there, we are still really getting a very different message as a whole. And, and that really keeps us from living up to our, you know, our full earning and wealth building potential and can leave us in a really vulnerable position. And that's where I found myself that night. It's not that my husband hadn't put money toward the future, but I don't think he was counting on having to do hundred percent of it. You know? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I wasn't doing my, I wasn't doing my part. And, and if you're not, then you leave your future, you know, at risk, right? The things that you really want. So the only way to really ensure that you have the future that you want is to make sure you're making the right choices financially to be able to support it. I love this conversation. I think it's, I mean, even thinking through my childhood, if you were to ask me, I, I was going through these old pictures and those little books that you make when you're like kindergarten and first grade about yeah. what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh. And <laughs> yeah, but here's the, I mean, this is, not to, I don't want to say this is a bad career choice, but I think this really demonstrates how, how girls are taught. My career choice at that time wanted to be a secretary. That was my number one choice. Okay. And I think about all of the career choices that I had available. And yet, even then, even then at that time, being a secretary was considered more of a female job. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting still to is. see. Yeah, it still is. You're exactly right. And it's so interesting to hear that. And so I'm wondering, like, how do we support kids in even thinking bigger about their careers and what it means to be a breadwinner? Is it truly just sitting down, maybe you have a boy and a girl, and you sit them down and talk about, here's what it means to invest? Is it just teaching the exact same things, or is there something deeper there? I think that's part of it, definitely, um, is, is sitting down with them and saying, look, you know, you're going to be responsible for yourself and really more so than ever before. I mean, more women are moving into the breadwinning role. More women are staying single than ever before. We have more single moms than ever before. So the chances that you will actually be responsible for yourself financially for most, if not all of your life is, is quite high now for women, higher than it's been. Um, so it, it is really important to prepare for that, but more so I think there's just I mean, there's so many benefits to thinking that way, no matter, you know, whether you're single, married, divorced, whatever your situation is. To me, it's really about um, kind of an, a, a mindset of abundance and growth versus a mindset of constriction, right? Mm-hmm. If you are so concerned about budgeting and clipping coupons and counting every penny, that is a very different mindset than thinking about how do I earn the most I can at any time in my job? How do I build wealth that will sustain me throughout my life and provide me with the kind of financial freedom I want to, you know, to ensure I can have the future I want? That is, it's just a completely different way of thinking. Um, but I do think it's important to provide those practical tips, which is, 
let's talk about what the cost of living is, right? Let's talk Mm -hmm. about what this career choice that you have will pay and what that will mean for the lifestyle you can afford. And let's talk about how to build credit so that you have a great credit score so that if you want to buy a house, you get the best rates on a mortgage and you, you know, you can be really confident in your investments. You're saving money, you know, both in what you're paying per month, but also you're saving tens of thousands of dollars over the course of your mortgage if you have a really great credit score and you have the best rates. Um, and then investing, just investing from day one. And I don't think, honestly, either gender gets that message enough, but but we know that women invest um, less and later generally than men do. I mean, we, we can look at the research here. We invest later and, and less than men do. We save less. We have more credit card debt. We have more student debt. We have worse credit card ratings. I mean, I could go on. <laughs> so there's yeah. still, there's, you know, and I think all of this, Maybe not all of it, but a lot of this comes down to the idea that if we truly thought we were responsible for taking care of ourselves for life financially and for others too, um, we would approach money in a very different way. And our parents would teach us about money in a very different way. And so it starts there. And then it really is about providing a good financial education. And to be honest, you know, um, the United States is not doing the best job of that generally. So we we could, we could do that better for, for everyone. But I think, you know, if you look at the gaps here, you know, we have a 19th percent gap, right? A gender wage gap, a 19% gender wage gap. That was, everyone was talking about that recently because we just had equal pay day. Um, but the gender wealth gap is 68%. It's huge. So you just like, you look at that and you think, okay, you know, this, this is not okay. Something is wrong here. Like we are are clearly not educating women in the way we need to be educating them. And the messaging here is not getting through about how important it is to build wealth for everyone. Yeah, I completely agree. And just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, I, I, I don't agree with this, but I know a lot of people sometimes come to the conclusion that women just aren't asking for more money. They're not Mm. taking those steps to put themselves out there. Is there an element of truth to that, or is that completely ignoring more of that systemic issue? Yeah, and I think to your point, and I spoke mostly about how parents, you know, are talking to their kids and how we're socialized, but you're right. There are still um, systemic barriers for women that that men don't face. Um, and again, I think in some ways it comes back to the outdated assumption that the man will be the breadwinner and the woman will be the caregiver. So we see how that plays out in the workplace, um, you know, where women are paid and promoted less than men are. And there's a motherhood penalty for every child a woman has. Our income goes down while men get a fatherhood bonus. I mean, this is all grounded in research. Um, Right. And I, and and even if you look at the policies that we have, right, where, where the, the U S is the only industrialized nation that doesn't have mandated paid leave the only one. And, you know, you look at those policies, you look at universal pre-K, all of these things that would support working parents. And it's hard to look at that and not think that our policymakers are just assuming women will pick up the slack. Um, And we saw what happened in the pandemic. You know, women were trying to pick up all the slack and just hit the breaking point. And I think we, we have such an opportunity here right now because we're having this conversation. We're much more aware of it. Um, of what it takes to run a household, of the value of caregiving, of the importance of partners dividing these responsibilities in a fair way so that each partner gets the opportunity to pursue their professional goals too, um, to make changes. 
we really have an incredible opportunity right now as we move out of the pandemic, we move back into offices to rethink the way we work, to rethink the way that we split our household responsibilities, to have those conversations, to really push for paid leave and the other policies that will not just support you know, working mothers, but working parents generally, and frankly, everyone. Because if working moms drop out of the workforce, you know, the economists were all up in arms saying, look, this is going to have a multi-billion dollar effect on our economy, a negative effect on our economy. So it, it helps everyone when we allow everyone who wants to work to be able to work. I agree I with that. Amen. Amen. Like, I, this is like, I mean, I, I don't see how anybody could maybe not agree with that. I think we can all see the value of even at the end of the day, even just having that second income, frankly, I don't know how a lot of people survive on just one income as is. So I would think for the the goodness of your family, you would want mm-hmm. maybe the chance to have two incomes and not be you know penalized for that. So I, I can see the value for sure, even from a selfish standpoint. I'm curious too, with, with all of these, these issues that we just talked about that you mentioned that are all huge issues, it can feel very overwhelming sometimes to know where mm-hmm. do I even begin with this? Yeah. Is it looking out for your own household first? Is it making sure that you're voting for better policies? Like what, where do we actually help make a change here? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts on the individual level. And in the book, I talk about both the internal and the external barriers and, and how to overcome both of them. <clears throat> but it starts with asking yourself, you know, am I making the kinds of money choices that will bring me closer to the future that I want or further away? And so that's a really easy kind of gut check um, as you're thinking about the different choices you make with your money. Um, but on a practical level, it is taking the time to sit down and think about what do I want in the future? Um, mm-hmm. Am I am I really making the right choices to bring me closer to that? Um, and looking at your income and have I negotiated the, the best salary that I can right now, because that is the springboard for all your wealth building efforts. Um, It's looking at your credit score regularly and your credit report and saying, am I doing everything I can to have the best credit score so that, you know, if I want to get, get a mortgage out, if I want to take out a business loan, um, you know, if I even want to have a credit card that I can use and obviously pay off each month, but get a great cash back, you know, bonus or, um, or rewards points. Um, am I doing everything I can to build that credit and keep that debt level low? And then looking at your investments, am I investing and saving regularly? You know, you want the savings for your safety net, as you've talked about in the past, you know, three to six months. I know you're a big believer in six months. I think three months is probably good, (laughs) but, but everyone, you, a lot of it comes down to what you're comfortable with. The point is that you want to make sure that you are never in a, you know, in a really scary situation if you lose your income. Um, So make sure you have the savings for that in a high yield savings account, but then thinking about, okay, everything else, let's funnel that into investments where you have more growth potential and really thinking about, okay, what are, what are my goals here? You know, how much money do I want to have invested by, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, what's, how much money do I need to put a down payment on this house that I want three to five years from now, whatever it is that you want in your future, being really practical and using real numbers, you know, and it's, it sounds so simple, but it is super effective to actually look at like, I, I, right now I have a house that I want us to buy and I look at it and I'm like, this is how much it's going to cost this is how much I need to make sure we have for the down payment, you know, and I'm, I'm running those numbers because that's really the only way to do it. You have to be very real <laughs> about, about what things cost and then, then come up with a strategy to, 
to earn that income or save and invest that money so that you can afford it. I I love this. I think that's a really great way to go. So let's, I want to break this down a little bit too. So practically speaking, you've got your house identified. You're like, this is my dream place. Mm -hmm. You know exactly how much it's going to cost to get in there. And then how do you, how, how are you actually structuring that goal? Like, is it a savings account or how do you have it logistically working through? Well, I think I'm probably a little further along than some people because this isn't our, this wouldn't be our first <clears throat> home. Sure. So in this case, we bought our home in 2010 and we're, I will say we were very strategic about where we bought it. We bought it in a neighborhood that had great schools. I was a few blocks away from a park. It was when the housing crisis, you know, obviously the prices were down then. So it was an ideal time to buy mortgage rates were low, which is similar to right now. Um, But we also looked at the building restrictions in the area and knew that um, they were pretty, pretty strict. So we knew that there wouldn't be a lot more inventory coming into the market. Um, Mm. All these are just smart to look at, right? Because you want to ensure that the value of your home is going to increase. Um, I didn't anticipate it would increase as much as it has, but it's doubled in value <laughs> since wow, we got it. Wow, that's awesome. Which is incredible. <clears throat> yeah. We'll only take partial credit for that. I think some of it was just good fortune that we for sure. know, could have anticipated it would increase that much. So I'm working with, you know, I, I have had it I've had a realtor come out and look at it. We're pretty realistic about what we could get for it. So that's super effective to actually look at like I, I right now I have a house that I want us to buy and I look at it and I'm like, this is how much it's going to cost. This is how much I need to make sure we have for the down payment, you know, and I'm, I'm running those numbers because that's really the only way to do it. You have to be very real <laughs> about, about what things cost and then, then come up with a strategy to, to earn that income or save and invest that money so that you can afford it. I I love this. I think that's a really great way to go. So let's, I want to break this down a little bit too. So practically speaking, you've got your house identified. You're like, this is my dream place. Mm -hmm. You know exactly how much it's going to cost to get in there. And then how do you, how, how are you actually structuring that goal? Like, is it a savings account or how do you have it logistically working through? Well, I think I'm probably a little further along than some people because this isn't our, this wouldn't be our first <clears throat> home. Sure. So in this case, um, we we bought our home in 2010 and we're, I will say we were very strategic about where we bought it. We bought it in a neighborhood that had great schools. I was a few blocks away from a park. Um, it was when the housing crisis, you know, obviously the prices were down then. So it was an ideal time to buy mortgage rates yeah. were low, which is similar to right now. Um, but we also looked at the building restrictions in the area and knew that, um, they were pretty, pretty strict. So we knew that there wouldn't be a lot more inventory coming into the market. Um, mm. all these are just smart to look at, right? Because you want to ensure that the value of your home is going to increase. Um, I didn't anticipate it would increase as much as it has, but it's doubled in value <laughs> since wow, we got it. Wow, that's awesome. Which is incredible. <clears throat> yeah. We'll only take partial credit for that. I think some of it was just good fortune that we for sure. know, could have anticipated it would increase that much. So I'm working with, you know, I, I have had it I've had a realtor come out and look at it. We're pretty realistic about what we could get for it. So that that's from a practical standpoint, I know how much money we are going to get from selling this house. And then I'm adding on to that, like how much money do I want? We could easily afford the down payment with the money we make from selling this, but I'm more concerned with what our monthly nut is going to be. And I want to <laughs> totally. keep that as a certain yep. percentage of our of our income. So I'm really looking at, okay, <clears throat> this is the realistic budget. 
um, per month and playing within that budget and thinking if we go above that budget, what would need to happen? How much more would I need to earn or how much more would I want to have in savings to make sure that we have kind of a, a buffer to subsidize it if we, you know, if we want to do that. But but it, it really is just running the numbers. And for me, you don't want to spend more than 30% on your housing. Obviously, in places like New York, it tends to be higher. But no, we're spending 25% right now on our housing. I don't really want it to go much higher than that because, um, that's a really comfortable percentage. You know, you can feel really confident that even if you lost half your income, you can still afford your mortgage. And that is a, for me, that provides me with a lot of security. Um, so, so that's it. It's running the numbers and then it's figuring out what you're comfortable with because you also, and I know you've talked about this, you don't want to be in a position where you've stretched yourself so much to get into a house that you now feel like you cannot afford to, you know, to take any risks in your career. You cannot, cannot afford to miss a paycheck. You know, you are so dependent on your income coming in just to cover your basic expenses. That's kind of a, um, for me anyway, that's, that would be a very anxiety provoking position. Mm-hmm. Me too. To in. <laughs> me too. Right. I couldn't handle it. Right. <laughs> I'd be like stressed out every day of my life. Yes. <laughs> it would just not be good. Yeah. I, I like to be in a position where our, we're able to save and invest a good portion of our income and know that, um, you know, our basic expenses are low enough that if we took a big income hit, we would be fine. Yeah. I'm curious, what's New York's market? So I'm in Boise, Idaho, and it is yeah, just crazy here too. Yeah. Me too. It's so great. <laughs> it's what is your real estate market like right now? Uh, it's coming back. Um, I think, you know, obviously it took a hit during the pandemic. Um, you know, places were on the, I've been watching this for a few years now because I've been interested in moving again. Um, places were on the market for several weeks. I mean, like several weeks, like three, four months without selling. And then pe- they were cutting it down by 10, 15%, the sale price. So there was no way I was going to put our place on the market during that period. But now it's coming back this spring, I think with more Americans getting vaccinated, there's more interest again in New York and people are more willing to move to a place that's a little denser in population. You know, we also saw at the beginning of the pandemic, people leaving the city. And so um, so that obviously has an impact on the market. But right now, I mean, we've I, I'm not a real estate expert, but I can say that the prices seem to have leveled off and you're not seeing those discounts and the turnaround time on sales now has dropped quite a bit. It's also spring and that's usually, um, the time when, you know, when you see more, more uh, inventory in the market and, and more sales. So I'm feeling pretty hopeful about putting our place on the market in the next few months (laughs) and having a good sale. Oh, that's going to be amazing. I'm excited for you to get into your new place too. I think it's always so, so fun. It is. It is. I know. I just like, I mean, I like looking at new places. It's just sort of fun to sort of imagine yourself in different places. That's half the fun. And, and then, um, you know, I agree. I think that's one of the ways too, that any, anytime I'm working on my mindset, if I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm getting restricted, which I wanted to call you out for something, because I thought this was really interesting, even in the way you were talking about the house, one of the pieces of language that I picked up on that is for sure thinking like a breadwinner was you were saying, how do I, how much more money would I need to earn? Right. That is so different than a lot of people of what expenses can I cut? And so yeah. I just wanted to call that out. That was really interesting. That is the way I think. And I really do think that is the breadwinning mindset. It's it's really a, a growth mindset. And I think, you know, I, I am quite happy with where I am. I'm very content with our life right now, but I do think it's, um, it can be really beneficial to think about what you want in the future and make it really visceral. Like, 
I look at houses, I go and look at them so that I have an emotional connection with it. So that when I am thinking about putting aside the money for this house and which is definitely going to cost a little bit more than we're paying in our mortgage right now, I know the why, right? I am very clear on the why behind the choices that I am making with my money and on how important it is to me. It, it aligns with my value of, you know, or my values of having a home that is, you know, a spacious home that is a place where I can relax, where we can entertain. It is very tied to my values of being connected, of family, of security, of all these things. And so, um, again, I think, you know, when you're thinking about the things you want in the future, the more you can align them with your values and the more visceral you can make them, you know, in terms of like describing it in great detail, going to look at houses, making it feel very real. It, it just bring it gives you so much more motivation, I think, to take those steps you need to do to make it happen. I agree. Anytime I go house shopping, I'm immediately like thinking of all the strategies to get the new house. Like, right? Like, right? Amazing how resourceful we become when we exactly. want something. <laughs> exactly. And that's so important that, I mean, you need that motivation. If it's just about, all right, I need to save more money. There's not much motivation in that. You really need to understand the why, why am I making these choices with my money? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for my life and the people I love? I love that. Now thinking through the next step. So once we start thinking like a breadwinner, we're more focused on all of the income producing areas of our life, our credit, our investing. We're really honing in on that mindset. One of the interesting things that you wrote about in your book is that it almost leads to another set of issues sometimes. So once you do become a breadwinner, that that stress doesn't stop there. Can you talk about what happens for a lot of women if they find themselves in a breadwinning role? Sure. Um, and that's a good point. Um, I think what I realized as I was starting the research on this book, I mean, a few years after I became the breadwinner, Pew Research came out with that um, study that found, I think at the time it was 41% of households with kids under 18 had a, a, a mom who was the the main or, or sole breadwinner. And that was all over. I mean, that, that got picked up everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was the first time it really hit me that I was not an anomaly because at that point I was the breadwinner, the main breadwinner. And, um, and so I thought when I was thinking about this book, I thought, oh, maybe women are already thinking like breadwinners. This is not an issue anymore. <laughs> maybe there's not a book here. But what I found was that the, the reason for this big shift really came back to the Great Recession when we saw millions more men lost their jobs than women. And so a lot of women became the breadwinner um, by chance, not by choice. And mm. so, right. And so if you're not prepared to be in that role, um, it can create a lot of frustration and resentment and anxiety, um, a lot of negative feelings. And I think we saw that reflected in a lot of the headlines that came up after that. Um, and a big reason for that, and I interviewed a lot of breadwinning women and, um, you know, I think the big reason for a lot of that was that their expectations had been that either they would be, you know, this power couple, or they would both be earning about the same, um, or that their spouse would be earning more, even if they, you know, had a good income. And so in the cases where they suddenly found themselves uh, responsible for providing for usually not just the couple, but a family, um, it was, uh, it was a real, uh, a real moment of anxiety, and feeling like, and I, and I can speak from experience too, when I moved into that role, because I felt like 
I was still catching up financially for the choices I had made in my 20s, right? I hadn't saved and invested enough. Um, and then I suddenly moved into the main breadwinner role. And now we have, and, and I was pregnant with our second child when I did. And I thought, oh my God, now I'm not just responsible for like catching up for myself. <laughs> I'm responsible <laughs> yeah. for my family. I felt an enormous amount of pressure. Um, and especially with two very young kids, it was, I, I mean, my life was a blur. And I do think I could not have written this book at that time because I was still sorting through all my feelings and my husband and I were still sorting through like, what is our dynamic here? What, who is going to do what, (laughs) you know, because both of us had grown up in a family where our fathers were the the main or sole breadwinner for most of our childhood. Um, And so that was the model that we had. And so we really had to sit down and have a very candid, several very candid conversations about what is our dynamic going to look like? You know, how are we going to split the household responsibilities, the caregiving, um, you know, the earning, um, Mm -hmm. how are we going to do that in a way that feels fair? And, and also, you know, you have these conversations, um, in, in a environment where we live in a neighborhood where, you know, there are a lot more men who are doing school pickups and are at playgrounds and stuff. But I think that's probably not the case all over the country. And even here, I think there's still a little, you know, like, you know, a a man can feel a little self-conscious being the guy who, you know, if he's a stay-at-home dad or or he's working part-time and he's the one who's picking the kids up from school or whatever, um, there still may be some you know, some emotion around that. Um, I do think it's shifting. I think we've evolved quite a bit on that front, but, um, but those feelings are real. And so it is important to have those conversations. And and we had a lot of, I mean, for me, I think one of the hardest parts for me was I tried to be the primary breadwinner and the primary caregiver for a few years. I really tried to do that. I tried to do, yeah, I was getting no sleep. I was, I mean, completely stressed out. I was just, I mean, it was, it was not great. I was just completely burnt out after a few years of it. And I was sort of lashing out at everybody because I just, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself and, and I was trying to take care of everybody else. And, you know, and I, in my first job in management with a big team and a lot of responsibility and just kind of hit the breaking point. And it was not because my husband wasn't trying to pick up those childcare responsibilities. He was, I wouldn't let him, I wouldn't Mm. let go of them. And, and I think that that is, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I think we have so much wrapped up in what being a good mom is this idea that you have to be ever present. And there's so much pressure on moms today. I mean, if you look at the data, it's just stunning. Like working moms today spend more time with their kids than stay at home moms did in the seventies. Like, think about that. That's insane. And so we're feeling this incredible pressure that unless we do all these things, we are a bad mom and our kids are going to suffer and our families are going to suffer. And so you, you think about that incredible pressure and it's not surprising that working moms are really reluctant to let go of those things or or trying to do everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say on a positive note, once I was able to, to let go of that a little bit and really allow my husband to step in there and he had moved into a role where he worked from home. So it made a lot of sense. Um, I mean, the benefits for our our kids was incredible. They have an incredible relationship with their dad. Um, you know, and I've talked to my dad about our childhood and he has a lot of regrets about not being there more when we were kids and we're super close now, but we were not as close when I was a kid. And I feel like my dad missed out. Um, and I know he does too. And so I'm really grateful that my husband will never have those regrets with our boys. 
I love that. I think it's a great way to go. And like, what a great reset too, just from a mindset perspective of this is a good thing for everybody. And at the end of the day, if you are trying to take on more in the household and in your career that, I mean, yeah, I can see why you're exhausted. That sounds exhausting. It's impossible to do. I'll just say that like it is unsustainable. Yeah. And, and the good news is like, I mean, I may not, I think right now we're about even because we're in the pandemic where everybody's home. But um, even when my husband was really picking up most of the caregiving responsibilities, I still felt close to my kids. Like I just had to sit down and think, what is really important to me? Like, what do I, what do I need to hold on to? And, and my husband and I talked about this and I was like, I need to hold on to taking them to school in the morning, or I need to hold on to having time with them on Saturday mornings. We can walk and pick up a treat or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I just had to, I, I had to create those moments. And, and my husband was more than willing to say, tell me what you need in order to feel like, you know, you're really connected as a mom and, and to, um, you know, and, and to fulfill fulfilled in that area. And I told him, and it doesn't, you don't actually need to be at every game and be at every school pickup and school drop off. Your kids don't even remember, you know, like they, what they remember (laughs) is, is, is mom like emotionally available? Is she, is she there when I really need her to be there? You know, can I talk to her about, this is what my kids have told me. Cause I say to them, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so important to me that, you know, that I'm here and we have we have pretty candid conversations about that too. If I have to travel, I say, I'm really sorry. I'm going to miss, you know, not lately, but before the pandemic, I was traveling quite a bit for my job. And I would say, I'm so sorry. I'm going to miss this baseball game. You know, um, I will come to this next one though. And and I want to hear all about it. And we find ways to really still connect around those things, even if I'm not physically there. Mm, that's smart. I, I really like, that. I don't have kids yet myself, so I'm, I'm definitely taking notes. <laughs> like, okay, we will talk. Thing? We will talk again. After <laughs> we'll need it. I'm sure of it. But I, I am, I feel very positive about this. I think, you know, the more that you allow your partner to, to be involved too, it just takes a lot of the pressure off you. And, you know, on the other hand, the more that you can support your partner from an earning standpoint and a financial standpoint, it takes pressure off your partner. So it's like, it's good for everyone. It really is with, with your career. So you're the chief education officer at Acorns, which I can imagine is a very busy role. How have, have you struggled with finding that, that almost like, okay, here I'm at home. I'm going to shut off. Like nobody really needs me after 6 PM. Was that a tough thing for you? Or is that something you still struggle with? Well, I have, um, I am in the fortunate position that I had spoken with my CEO and was able to reduce my hours when I was working on the book. So, um, yeah, so I'm very fortunate. I know not everyone has that option. So that, um, was huge because initially I was trying to write it and also work full time. And that was very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it's feasible, but it's, it's difficult. Um, but yeah, I think before that, um, when I was full time, I, I did have to create those boundaries for myself and, you know, it, it's a startup. And so, um, you know, everything they say about startups is true to some degree. You are really like kind of on all the time. Um, there's, there's less structure in the sense of like, you're not clocking in at nine and clocking out at, at five, you know, you are really sort of expected to just work until things get done. And there's so much mm-hmm. pressure, um, because you're growing and there's a lot going on. And so, um, so it is really on you as an individual to say like, mm, you know what, I'm going to turn my phone off after eight o'clock. And you know what, on the weekends, I'm only going to check my email 
once or twice. Right. And so I, I had to do, and trust me, it wasn't easy. I did do that. I finally got to the point where I would really try to put my phone down by, by at least eight or 9 PM. And that was it. I still try to do that, even though I'm not working full time, because otherwise you're sort of, you're not a hundred percent present, right. You're sort of looking over at your phone all the time and you're not really, um, you're not really there with your family um, or your friends if you're, if you're out. So, yeah, I think, I think it is really about setting those boundaries and I, that's more challenging probably than ever before because work and life have become so blurry, (laughs) you know, there's the lines between them, but I think there's also a huge opportunity now, you know, especially in this pandemic working from home. I think a lot of us have had the opportunity here to say like, wow, I just got two hours back from my commute time. What am I going to do with this? And then also being at home, you really, there's, there is less structure. Um, And so you really do have to be more proactive in terms of, okay, when am I getting up? What am I doing? You know, how am I fitting yes. in everything else? And I, that exercise I think is not, is not a bad thing for, for us to have gone through because, um, if you're really paying close attention now, you really understand when your energy is high and when it wanes and you can start to kind of plan your schedule around that when you have a little more flexibility, like you can go for a run at lunch now and not, you know, th- there's just that kind of flexibility where you can start to create a daily schedule that supports your natural rhythms and allows you to be more productive. Agreed. I think it's really a beautiful thing to have that flexible work schedule. Sometimes it's a curse, but usually it's a good thing. <laughs> well, it's, it, it does require, you know, it, it requires some self-discipline and, um, <laughs> sure. and, and there are days I know I struggle with that too sometimes, but, um, but I think all in all, like if you're really paying attention to it and, and you see it for the opportunity that it is, you can start to say like, Hmm, how can I actually be more, most productive in my day? Like I'll do all my email at this, you know, during this hour and I will focus on the really deep thinking stuff during the period when I know I tend to be like, you know, at my best work wise. And, you know, the more control you can have over your schedule like that, you actually become more productive and more effective. And then you can free up even more time um, for some of the other stuff that matters so much to you. What was your writing style like when you were going through this? Like, how did you set up your environment to be conducive for writing? Um, I wrote some of it down. I mean, this is kind of an unusual and certainly I hadn't planned for it. But, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, it we Brooklyn was hit quite hard. We're a few blocks away from a hospital. It was pretty pretty terrible. Yeah, it was really terrible. It was just constant uh, ambulance sirens and... And so, as you can imagine, that was pretty distracting and also just created an enormous amount of anxiety. Um, and so we ended up move, going down, I was going to say moving, we practically did. We went down to my in-laws who live in rural Virginia and have a, a bigger home and, and some more land than we have certainly in Brooklyn. Uh, we had intended to go down there for, I don't know, a week or two. We weren't really thinking about yeah. this. So we <laughs> threw things in a bag and headed down there. Um, but we ended up staying there for months. And that was in part because, you know, it was just a safer place, I felt like at the time yeah. for the family. But it was, it also ended up being, um, I'm, I'm so grateful for this. It ended up being such a gift for me in, in the sense that my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law were there to help take care of the kids. And they, we honestly, none of us really left the house for a while. We were essentially sheltering in place for several weeks. And my, um, my mother-in-law would actually help with the meals and, you know, so her, she helped so much. It made it a lot easier to write the book. It allowed me to focus more. 
Um, you know, and then we came back to New York and I finished it here, but, um, but I will say it was, it was not the situation that I had (laughs) counted on. So when you ask what my environment was like, it was definitely not the environment that I had planned on, but I will say, you know, whether it's there or in New York, writing is, is the kind of exercise where you have to go deep. You have to give yourself, you really have to block out enough time to allow your mind to just wander and, and go really deep into the work. And, um, you can't do that if you're doing like an hour here or a half hour there or two hours Mm -hmm. there. And I learned that really quickly when I was just trying to squeeze in a few hours on a weekend, um, that you really need to clear your calendar and, and know that, you know, sometimes you write and it's going to be, you're not going to like what you wrote. You're just like, you've got to get it out and know that you're going to go back and revise it and it'll be better. But you need to, you need to create the space to be able to do that and the time. And so I also just spoke to my family a lot and they've been so supportive. And so my husband made sure like, okay, this is mommy's time to write. <laughs> like we're not, we're not going to disturb her for, you know, for a few hours, unless it's really important so that she can focus on this. So um, so that was really important too. So if anyone is working on a big creative project, whether it's a book or something else, you know, having your partner's buy-in is really important too. Um, and asking for that help is so important. I couldn't have done it without his help. And frankly, you know, my, my in-laws too, I mean, they were the same. They said, we understand you've got this book and we want to support you. And so they were incredible too. And, and, and I think like the, the lesson out of that is that when something is really important to you and it is going to require a lot of effort and time and bandwidth to get the people who love you on board with that and, and get their buy-in and their support. And it just makes it so much easier. I really don't know how I could have done it without my husband's support and without my, my in-laws. It'd be a grind. It'd be real tough. It would have been a grind. Yes. It's probably a grind anyways. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, but it was made so much easier because I had that support and I would do the same thing for my husband. If he's doing something important, you know, take the kids out, make sure he has the, the time and the space to do that. But that's sort of part of what a partnership is about, right? You understand what's really important to each of you and you make sure that you're supporting each other and in the things that are really meaningful and important to you. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. This has been such a fun conversation. I know there's a million different directions we <laughs> could have taken this. So I'm glad that you were willing to talk about some of the maybe uncomfortable pieces of breadwinning. I think it's really important that people understand they aren't alone. And I, I do. I'm so grateful that you took the time to share that. Oh, thank you. I know I've really enjoyed this conversation. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Of course. All right. My first question for you. I love this one. Okay. Where's one location you're dying to travel to? Mm, um, Lately, it's been New Zealand. I'm so jealous of how they've been able to control things in the pandemic. But also it is, I follow their prime minister's Instagram account and that is the most beautiful country. It is just so incredibly beautiful. So yes, that's um, number one on the list right now. Once they start letting us travel there again. Yeah. Have you been before? Or would this be your I've first never time? been. I'd like to go there and to Fiji and Australia actually and bring the kids. Oh my gosh. That'd be amazing. Yes. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see your pictures when that happens. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question for you. What's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Hmm. Oh, you know, the snowball mic, <laughs> I will say, <laughs> given yeah. I'm doing a lot of podcasts and a lot of media and it's almost all over, you know, over Zoom from my, from our home, um, that has made it easier. That's awesome. Yeah. Great choice. Okay. Um, are you more of a morning or evening routine kind of person? Morning for work, for sure. Morning for work. Okay. Yes. So what I get up your- and I am Adam right away. 
drives my husband nuts. (laughs) What time do you typically wake up? Uh, well, these days I'm getting up, you know, for when the kids, um, their school starts at 8.30, my youngest. So I usually get up about 7.50. But before, you know, when, before the pandemic, I was getting up, mm, I would say around six mm. and going to work out and then getting the kids up for school and everything. I like it. Any coffee in that routine? Oh my God. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just one big cup, but it does make a difference. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I love that. Okay. Last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Mm, that is a great question. I think this is going to sound really woo woo, but I think it really starts with believing in yourself and your capabilities and knowing that you can. And I can say with utmost confidence that anyone listening here can, can do this because, you know, I, I had credit card debt. I was living paycheck to paycheck, um, when I had my wake up call and just completely turned my own life around. You know, we now have a net worth of over a million dollars and just over a decade, it is entirely possible, um, to build the wealth you want, to have the life that you want, um, and that is the first step is to see that for yourself and then to take the steps to get there. Jen, thank you so much for your time. That was a beautiful way to wrap up a great conversation for everyone listening in. They definitely need to go purchase your book. Think like a breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere else they should go to hang out with you? Um, well, you can go to my website. It's jenniferbarrett.com. It's be like a boy, a double R E double T. And I'm on all the social platforms. So, you know, come and say hello, message me. I respond. (laughs) (laughs) You rock, friend. Thank you so much for your time. (laughs) Thank you. Did you enjoy this episode? I know I definitely did. It gave me a different perspective on some of the issues that women face. I've been a breadwinning woman myself in times in my relationship. It's kind of ebbed and flowed, and it, it is different. And it is something where I didn't necessarily have a ton of support to talk to people about this with. So I really enjoyed this conversation because I think so many women are finding themselves becoming the breadwinner, which is incredible, but it does come with another set of issues that we really do need to talk through. So I thought this episode was really important. And I think it's a really awesome perspective from somebody who has gone through this herself. If you did enjoy this, leave a five-star review. Your reviews mean so much and they help me attract really awesome guests like Jennifer to come on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you on Friday for five tip Friday or next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.